bring you greetings in Jesus' name. Good to be here. Seems like a long time, and I was thinking, and I was thinking if if no oftener than I come here, that um, I'm so scarce anymore. Maybe this will be the last time, especially sitting in this old men's class up here in the Sunday school. Uh, Mel kept, he was our teacher, and he kept reminding us that he was the youngest, the youngest in that group, and I didn't think I was that much younger than he was, or older, I'll say it right. See, that's another thing that happens when we get older, talks about it in Ecclesiastes, and by the way, I did enjoy the Sunday school lesson very much, talks about us older people, and somehow we get the idea that things just won't change, but we do get older. Amazing how that sneaks up on us. It's amazing how many people have passed on in this church. There's a lot of people, you young people don't know it, but there's a lot of people that were our mentors that are gone. And before you know it, you'll be up here and we'll be gone. It's just like a conveyor belt. We just keep coming on forward and we go out the side in the box and it's over. I don't want to elaborate a lot on that, but I was blessed by being here again. And yeah, it is kind of hard to get away from our church. We preach pretty often. We're a small church, and y'all are kind of intimidating because I'm used to preaching to 25, 35 people. And here we have 142. What am I supposed to do? Shaking my shoes? <laughs> no boots involved. But anyhow, it's we serve the same God, and that's a blessing to go from one church to another. And bring I also bring you greetings from Boyer Hill. Um, it's a, a blessing to go into another congregation and see people faithfully serving the Lord. Hope the message today is not one of criticism, or don't take it that way at all. Um, I had about five different messages I was working through, and... I never can, I have a hard time preaching the same message over. And so Jay said, you don't use one something you've already used. No, it's it's like chewing it twice. And so, yeah, I can take the same message, but I end up reworking it and try to improve it. And maybe you think, well, what was it like before when you get through with this one? But the title of, of the message is, in it, but not of it. In it, but not of it. What does that bring to your mind? The world, we're in it, but are we of it? I'd like to read this short story. A crow was absolutely satisfied in life. It's just an analogy. But one day he saw a swan. This swan is so white and I am so black, the crow said. The swan must be the happiest bird in the world. He expressed his thought to the swan. Actually, the swan replied, replied, I was feeling that I was the happiest bird around until I saw a parrot. A parrot, which has two colors. Now, I think the parrot is the happiest bird in all of creation. The crow then approached the parrot. The parrot explained, I lived a very happy life until I saw a peacock. I have only two colors, but the peacock has multiple colors. The crow then visited the peacock in the zoo and saw that hundreds of people had gathered to see him. After the people left, the crow approached the peacock. Dear peacock, he said, you are so beautiful. Every day thousands of people come to see you, and when people see me, they immediately shoo me away. I think you are the happiest bird in the planet. Boy, I've really got your attention. Shall I say, let this be continued next time I come? 
The peacock replied, I always thought that I was the most beautiful and happy bird on the planet, but because of my beauty, I am trapped in this zoo. I have examined the zoo very carefully, and I have come to realize that the crow is the only bird not kept in a cage, and so for the past while I've been thinking that if I were a crow, I could happily roam everywhere. Wow, what a conversation. We know birds don't talk. I mean, parrot says a few things, I guess. But sometimes that is our problem as well. We make unnecessary comparisons with others and become sad when we don't value what God has given us, and it leads to a vicious cycle of unhappiness. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What does that have to do with the message? Well, I think sometimes it's more than we care to admit because we look out and we see what's happening in the world and say, yeah, I want no part of it. Some of, the, some of that was alluded to. We have things that are going on in the world. We wonder what in the world is going on. Can't believe stuff anymore. You hear news reports. Well, is that true? I wonder how many times in the last year I said, I wonder if that's truth, especially with the COVID thing. And we still don't quite know all. I mean, there's still opinions as there are fingers on our hands, as there are people, and some very strong. And it split churches. And the devil made hay out of some of the things that happened through COVID. Did he not? Yeah. And it's sad. It's really sad that that has all happened. But is that of the world or is that us being in it and letting it rub off on us? You know, the Bible says very clearly that we're to love one another fervently. Fervently. That's not lackadaisical or that's not lukewarm. That is fervently. I mean, we care for our brother. We care for our sister. Fervently. That's more than just lip service. There's a comparison to some of that. You can tell if a man loves his wife fervently, can't you? Or if they just endure each other. Yeah, you can. The way they talk to each other, the way they relate to one another, the body language. You know, body language brings out more than what you can say. It does. Yeah, you may roll your eyes behind your wife, but there's other things you do that just brings it right out. If you don't like your spouse or something happens and it's the same way with brotherhood you know I was blessed by the way Samuel by your confession because here's the amazing part I had to do the same thing last Sunday morning in our church so we're made of the same material I said something the Wednesday, Wednesday evening before and I said I just hope these words fall to the ground because they were inappropriate and I regretted saying them and yeah I think my list was a little longer than yours But that's what we're made of. It was part of the world coming out. Is of the world the way we dress? Is it the shoes, the hair, the food we eat, the occupation we have, the color of the car, the number of acres we own, the size of the house, the quality of the homes, the amount of friends or the lack of them? What makes us, whether we are of the world or not of the world? John wrote in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world. There's a command. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So what things do you love? But John says, don't do that. If any man or person love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
That's what it says. I didn't make that up. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And some have taken that a step further and said, Well, we're not really Christians until the world hates us. So we should be at odds with our neighbor. Is that it? Should get our neighbor just really ticked off, and that means we're believers. No. Not that, it's not what that means. Being of the world and being friendly to your neighbor is two different things. Being of the world, I'll get into that later, is doing what the world does, contrary to the will of God. You know, we sing that song sometimes, um, the wise man built his house upon the rock, children's song. And the rains came tumbling down, and we like the effects of that because it's crash and bang and stomp on your feet. Do you know what that song means? You know, Jesus gave that parable. And he said, in my words, he said, when you believe and obey, it's likened to a house that falls down or a house that's built on the rock. Believing and obeying is two different things that's brought in on that parable. It's not so much the house crashing and falling like we like to emphasize. And, you know, we sang that song from child up for years, and we think, oh, that's a neat little song, but what does it mean? And I've asked some adults, you know, what does that song mean? What is it, what is it trying to bring out? And it's like, well, I don't really know. It's just we sang it as children. That's what it means. And so it's being part or separate from the world. Having your house built upon Christ and it's not just building on it, it's obeying his commands. And I was blessed with the Sunday school class that brought some of that out. The verse before John 15, 19 says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And that is so true. You, we know what happened when Jesus went to the cross. We know how he died and was mutilated and spit upon and despised and rejected of all men, betrayed And the world hated him, severely hated him. And you read those accounts, and it just I have just been amazed how much hatred was toward him because he was not part of the world. He was not part of the program. And I wonder, have wondered since then, and it's probably an old age thing, all those people in that time went into eternity. How many actually trusted and believed in him before they went off the scene? How many are in glory sitting around Jesus thanking him for forgiveness? And how many are in eternal hell regretting what they did for all eternity? And here we are in this little space in 2022, and we get to still make a decision, pro or con, today. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God or children of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. The first mention of the world is in, in the New Testament is in Matthew 4a. Jesus was being tempted by the devil and the devil tried to manipulate or control Jesus by telling him what to do. That's what the devil's doing. And he's still up to his tricks. The first thing he asked Jesus to do was turn bread into stones. Why was that so important to the devil? I don't know what the devil's total motive was, but it was, I think, 
as you read the scripture, I think a large part of it was just getting Jesus to submit to what he asked him to do. And then he had him. And isn't that his objective today? He's still trying to do the same thing. And why was turning stones to bread so important to him? Jesus could make bread, plenty of it. He fed 5,000 one time, 4,000 another time. So we knew he could do it. And maybe the devil knew that he could do it too, but I just want to get the edge on him here. The second was throw himself off of a high mountain. No, that was the third. The second was, yeah, it was throw off a high building. Throw himself off of a high building. Then he became more brazen when he offered Jesus the world. If he would bow down and worship him, he would give him the world. All three times he questions Jesus' authority. He says if, if, and if. For Jesus to submit to the devil's wishes, his conniving, his lying, his seductive suggestions would have been sin. You know, Jesus, I mentioned he fed the 5,000 and the devil wanted him to throw himself off of a temple on top of a big building and, and the angels would watch over him. But, and he could have, he could have easily done all that. But submitting to the devil was not in his mandate, was not in his program, was not what he was come to do, did not, was not part of what he came to do. In fact, he could do many more powerful things than that. He calmed the sea by his word. Remember the story? Come walking on the water, disciples were terrified. The waves were boisterous, and he comes walking across the water. And they were terrified because not only the storm was raging, but here comes a man walking on water. And Peter had that doubt thing going. Another time he was on the water, it was a storm raging, he was asleep in the front of the boat, I think it says, or one part of the boat. And he wakes up, still think it's amazing, sleeping through a storm like that. And he wakes up and said, peace, be still, and immediately just... Everything went flat. Storm ceased. Wouldn't that be nice if we had that in our day? I mean, we're not on the water. We're not tossed around with the storm, being in a storm on a sea. But we have storms in our life. And we know the master of making it calm. But the devil wanted control of Jesus. It's still that way today. As soon as we start believing the devil's lies, we're heading for trouble. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Jesus said in Luke 9, if, What is the man advantaged if he gained the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? You know it says that in Luke 9. We always read the other rendition of it, and it says in Matthew 16 and Mark 8, if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul, that's what it says. But in, Matthew's, in Luke's account, it says gain the world, lose himself, or be cast away. The word world defined in this verse is called cosmos in the Greek, and it means in a wide or narrow sense, including its inhabitants literally, literally or figuratively. Webster says, of all the people, it's societies and institution of the earth, the world. Now, in the English language, we have a number of phrases to use. We say, 
We have the best of both worlds. That's the best of differing situation. Bring someone into the world, your assistance at birth. You come up in the world, you rise in status. You have an ideal world. You have things better than some places than others. They're in a world of their own, people that are daydreaming. A man or woman of the world experience, according to the definition, experience in the ways of a sophisticated society. And then we have out of this world, which is extremely enjoyable or impressive. And then people that are worlds apart, they're very different or distant from each other. They have a different opinion than what we have. So those are all world things. So what is it about the world that is so bad that we're to not be a part of, not of it? We're in it. And by the way, we didn't have a decision to come into this world, did we? No, none of us did. There's a few other things we didn't have a decision on. You didn't decide your name. And we know that, but it's kind of mind-boggling how helpless we really are when we came into this world. Pretty much helpless and squalling. In fact, that's the first thing we do when we come out of the womb is to start screaming our head off, they say. And if you don't, it's a sign of not being healthy, so they slap you, or the doctor does, to get that lung moving, and, and we're ticked off because we come out of a nice, warm, floating environment and thrown into the cold, as it were. Back years ago, it was probably more so. Now they have these little incubators or heater things, and it's not so much so, but we come ticked off. We are. We're all really just mad about the way we're being treated. And it seems like until we become a Christian, that doesn't really change a whole lot. Something I noticed in here that we don't have at our church. Now, here I go. But you have children squalling in here. In our church, they're well-behaved. They don't do that. <laughs> no, not really. That's because we don't have them. All of a sudden, it got a little quieter. Did you notice that? I wonder if the children are listening. But that's human nature. That's the way we do. And if we don't curb it, if we don't cut it down or cut it out by the regeneration that Christ gives us when we become believers, it was mentioned in our class, some people do it older. The, the, the verse says, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. And depending on where you come in in Christianity, that can still be a transformation that goes on. In fact, it is a transformation that goes on. Jesus also said to the Jews at the temple, ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of the world, I am not of this world. He was pretty clear and he was pretty emphatic on it. My challenge to you is today, are we of this world or are we not? You know, we can profess Christianity, but if we do all the things the world's doing, what are we changed from? That's my challenge. Not only to you, this hammer... It dropped the hammer on me first. I said, therefore, unto you, I didn't read the second verse, right after, the next verse right after that. I said, therefore, unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, for ye believe not that I am he. Ye shall die in your sins. He repeated it. Unbelief, then, is part of the world. How many times have I talked to people and they don't believe in Christ? They don't believe in his soon return? You know, evolution is actually as a slap in the face, as it were, toward God in that we'll go on for another billion years. Billions before us, billions after us, and that's why we've got to save the environment. 
Um, recently, our flock of chickens went out, and I'm not sure what's going on, but we had to sign a paper that we would um, depopulate, is the word they use, I think, for our cold chickens. When we find a chicken that's sickly or is not doing very good, the company wants us to depopulate them. And they have a technique that shows it on paper on how you do it. And it's not with a shotgun, it's not with a BB gun, it's not with a stick. You gotta pull his head. I see some of you shaking your head that's been in the business. And so we've signed the paper, this is the way we'll do it. Our flock went out this past week and the, the manager of the company called me, he said, I have some Q&A things to do here, question and answers. And he said, we found a BB in one of your chickens. I said, what? Yeah, we found a BB. And I said, how big is the BB? And he said, well, it looks more like a ball bearing. And right away, my, I said, you know we don't do that kind of stuff. I still think somebody's trying to frame us, I don't know. That's neither here nor there, but you know, my attitude from all that can easily bring out the world mentality. Uh-huh, you getting even with us or you getting back at us for whatever reason, we're gonna, we're gonna set you straight. But you know what? The more we thought about it, just let it go. See what happens. I mean, we said we didn't do it, be honest about it, but to get really in their face with it, that never works. You know, it never works in a church setting either. Prove myself right. Justify myself. Never works. Let them have their way. Let them be right if they feel they're right. That makes more for peace than doing how the world does, and we're going to get you back for this one. That's why lawyers get fat. Sorry, lawyers. Uh, that's, why they, that's where they make their money, uh, the dishonest ones. I say there's righteous or probably godly lawyers out there. I'm not trying to paint them all with a black, with a black brush. But unbelief is part of the world. Unbelief in Jesus being the Son of God, the, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. John 3.16 brings that out. You know the verse. We have so many people that are questioning more so today than heretofore. We were just talking to a brother this past week about our struggle with getting children to come to summer Bible school. I don't know, for some reason in our area, the children, there's no more interest in Bible school. And I've even gone to the doors of parents that had come to Bible school at Boyer Hill and they encouraged their children to go. And they'd say, well, no, we want to play, stay at home and play our arcade games or whatever electronic games they had. Wouldn't come. And I found out from another brother that is in a more populous place, he said, we, the problem is universal. It's just seems like there's no lack of that kind of problem going on. There's corruption and dishonesty. People around us promote and push their agenda. There's shoplifting and embezzlement, taking money from someone else's account and placing it in their own. We have telemarketers around that have a slicker and slicker way of doing things, make you feel like, like you have got to do what we say. Uh, I'm always blessed that there's a recording so you can easily hang up on it without insulting someone. And then we have people calling and wondering how, whether our warranty on our car is up to date. That is a real big concern with people that are out there to try to take advantage of us. And if I can just put a word in for Chevrolet's this morning. 
our car has, uh, I'm not bragging, it's the Lord's car, but the thing has 400 and I think close to 16,000 miles on it. Now, yeah, it has a bow tie on it. And so I like when people, telemarketers call and say, we have, your warrant is about to run out on your car. And, they, and I'll say, really? Yeah. And I said, well, that's nice to know if it still has some life left and, and that the warranty would cover it. And he said, well, I need to know the make and model, so I give it. And then the next question is the years. And I always hesitate to give because I know what's going to happen next. They hang up on me. I give the years and then hang up on me. They want a new current model and they want to sell you more product. And, yeah. But there's so much of that going on. And some of our elderly people have been taken advantage of through all that. And it's dishonest. And I'm amazed the amount of people that thinks it's all right if you're in dire straits and don't have the money, you're, you're, it's okay to steal. People that you thought were pretty upright citizens, it's okay to steal. If, if you're in dire needs, if you're almost starving, then you, you're, you're qualified to go steal. Well, there's an account in Mark 10. You can turn to that if you want. There's an account in Mark 10. Start about verse four, uh, 13. I like verse 13. Jesus is having the dialogue here with different ones, the disciples, I think, and also some um, scribes and Pharisees. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. This is Mark 10, 13, now 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. He took up them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Verse 17. And when he had gone forth into the way, there came one running. This is a man I want to talk about. There came one running. And kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit, a, do not commit adultery. Verse, that's the seventh commandment. Do not kill. That's the sixth commandment. Do not steal. That's the eighth commandment. Do not bear false witness. That's the ninth commandment. Defraud not. Honor your... That's the eighth commandment as well. Honor thy father and thy mother. I think that's the fifth commandment. And he answered, this man that had come running, doesn't give, him a, doesn't give a name, he just called Jesus good master. But he answered in verse 20, and he said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, verse 21, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, Sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at the saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He was a wealthy man. He had a lot of goods, just like we all do. I don't see anybody in here destitute. Would you have come to Jesus running when he was sitting there with his child on his lap? I'm not sure if the child was still on the lap. It comes right on the heels of that scenario. 
But I could see this rich man coming, and if he had a nice coat on or a nice robe, whatever they wore in that day, he comes running through there, and that's not, that's not really how I would depict a businessman in our day to come running to meet someone. You know, they're distinguished. They have their suits on. They come in. We have in a business meeting. We sit down. We discuss things. But he comes running. It's like he was desperate. He wanted eternal life. And Jesus, God had allowed him to have all this wealth. Everything we have comes from God, we say, right? Did you get anything on your own that wasn't from God? The Bible says without God, we're nothing. That means zero. Isn't that what it says? Some of you seem a little bit stumped by that. I think, I'm wondering now if you think you're pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's not true. Everything you have is what God has given you, and God gave this man what he had. But somehow he felt that it was because of what I had done. I am self-sufficient. And that was his problem. But there's something very noble about this man. He had kept all them commandments from his youth. And God didn't deny when he said, I kept them from my youth. You notice that? God didn't say, you're lying to me. He just said, you lack one more. You need to get rid of it all, sell it, and give it to the poor. And we say, oh boy, that would really hurt. Could, you, could we do that today? Could I do that today? Our bank account looks pretty good. Children are set up good. Um, here's where the toe stepping comes in. Could you do that today? If God said, you've kept all those commandments from your youth, if in fact you did, now I want you to sell everything and send it to Ukraine and just follow me. I'm not insinuating that at all, and I don't think that's really the scripture that it's trying to bring out here. Is that a relief to you? <laughs> because there's other scriptures. There's other scriptures that <clears throat> bear out. First Timothy 6 says, we brought nothing into this world and... It is certain we can carry nothing out. Somebody else paraphrased that. We brought nothing into this world and we still have most of it left. Someone else said an open heart has greater power than a clenched fist. Notice how it reads next though in verse 21. Then Jesus beholding him loved him. That means he didn't have a bad attitude toward him. He did not feel resentful toward him. He loved him. Sell, give, you'll have in heaven. Come, take up the cross, follow me, was words in there. Jesus knew his heart, and he knows ours. So if he gave it all away, what about the verse that Paul gives by divine inspiration in, second, in 1 Timothy 5, 8? He says, but if any provide not for his own Provide not for his own children or his parents, and especially those of his own house. He hath denied the face is worse than an infidel. Worse than an infidel. 
worse than an infidel. An infidel is a person who doesn't believe, a heathen, a pagan, an idolater, an apostate, a dissenter. Not a very good word picture there. James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to visit the fatherless and widows, or the husbandless, in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. If we really want to see what the world looks like, we can turn to Galatians 5.16. And you can steer clear of what all it says. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, which is jealousies. Emulation is jealousy, wrath or anger, strife, seditions, which means divisions, heresies, envings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before as, have, as have, also, have I also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty defining there on what we're not to do. But you know what? We're to be at peace with one another. Scripture brings that out. In fact, this talks opposite of that. And I think, well, our church setting is so nice. We can relate to one another. We can be at peace with one another. We can visit with one another. We can work together. We can do all things together and look like a fine, wonderful brotherhood. It's so easy. To love our brother, is it not? Is it not? To love your sister, is it? Is that easy? Piece of cake? No, it's not. Not if you're like I am. Because someone said what you think in your spare moments in your thought life is what you're really made of. And I have problems with that sometimes. What do you think about when you have nothing else to do? About something that happened to you or towards you or about you? And first thing you know, you're at odds with your fellow brother or sister. That spells it out pretty clearly, what the world is like. 1 Corinthians 13 says in 13, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it seems like it shows, it's the one chapter in the Bible, shows us more than any other chapter in the Bible, probably, whether we're in it or of it. In it or of it. Love is long-suffering. Even when we see no change of heart, it keeps praying. Even when there's no love or very little love shown, it keeps on loving. Love is kind. Kindness reaches out to others and it shows itself in the way we speak, in the way we act, in the way we give, in everything we think. It brought that out. Love does not envy. I don't know why envy has to be in there. I, for some reason, some people really struggle with that. You know, I wish I had what he had. 
That's music. We don't get that in our church. <laughs> At least I think it's music. I don't think he does. Um, oh, that reminds me of a child that came at the old Peak Church was out here and the parent was taking him out. Do you all remember this? And he hollered over his shoulder. The child hollered over his shoulder, y'all pray for me. <laughs> I think it was past being too old to take out already. Anyhow, <clears throat> love doesn't envy. You know, envy doesn't have to do only with wishing you had what somebody else had. Envy, the children of Israel had envy in the wilderness. You know what it was? Feelings of discontent. Discontent, murmuring and complaining. That can be envy. I did not realize that until I was studying this. I thought, well, I don't have envy. I don't wish for something somebody else has. I mean, I wish you had the nice eye. My brother just bought a brand new truck. My first thought was, that's not right. I worked just as hard as you did. Where's mine? That's not good. I mean, coming from a 66-year-old man and having a stupid idea like that. So I bit my tongue and I said, really glad for you. Looks nice. And then he turns around and tomorrow morning we're heading to Ohio to do some work out there with my brother. And he offered to drive us out there. And wow, that was nice of you. Envy. God hates envy. Did you know that God gave the children of Israel a rough time. In fact, that was one of the reasons they kept wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their whining and complaining. It wasn't all that, but it was a large part of it. You want to gripe and complain, this is what I'll do. I can't stand a whining person, especially a child of God that has agreed to believe in me. Envy vaunteth not itself. It doesn't push my agenda. You know, some of us get pretty conniving, pretty good at conniving and getting our way. And you know what? We're born with that nature, and I just told you about it, about children. Give you another illustration, and I'll try to wrap this up. But I remember at the old Peak Church. You younger ones don't remember this. But I remember at the old Peak Church, my wife and I were childless. We didn't have any children for 13 years, and so I took it upon myself to look out for the children. And some of you are married here now and have children. Some of you still don't have children, and that's fine. My heart goes out to you. But... Um, I'd bring, I thought lifesavers is about the nicest thing to, to bring and be safe because they're called lifesavers because they have a hole in them. That way if they choke, they still have a little bit of air to get life out of. So that's called a lifesaver. So I was passing out lifesavers and I'd have this, I felt like Moses and the children of Israel have this little crowd of children around and they would come up to get their candy. But the parents had told some of them, the, the parents that trained their children well, I might add, told some of them, never beg. Don't you ever beg. If he gives it to you, it's one thing, but don't you go asking for it. And here's the way humans do when they connive. I still can see it. They walk up to me, and they were waiting in line, and I was getting another pack out, and they were so anxious to get their piece. Excuse me. And they'd wait there, and then they'd say, you know what? And I'd say, what? And they'd lower the voice to a whisper. Did you know I like candy? But they didn't beg. <laughs> and I would play it on, mean me, I'd play it on and says, really, that's amazing. Why would you say something like that right now? And then they'd get their candy. 
Love is not puffed up, swollen, excessive, distasteful. Love doesn't behave itself unseemly. That's in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13. Seeketh not her own. Look at me, pick me, pick me, or even acting, condescending toward others, but have courtesy and goodwill toward others. Not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, doesn't assume the worst in others. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but in the truth, the facts, the veracity, the principle, the accuracy, the certainty, the authenticity is what love rejoices in. Bearing, believing, hoping, enduring all things. The word that I think best describes this whole scripture is faithfulness. Love never fails. Preaching what we're doing now and talking ten languages or all knowledge or even all faith, faith won't amount to anything but love will. Love and obedience. We hear much today about love. Love, love. We need to love each other and it's all right and it's all good. But what about obedience? Love don't do much good if you don't determined by the grace of God to obey him, just like the house that fell flat or the one that stood firm. God wants obedience. He said the house that stood firm was those that hear and obey. That's what he said. Lord bless you for listening. I'll turn it. I asked for a song, and I'll turn it back over to Jay. <laughs>